So, so good. Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you that do not know me, I want to welcome everybody to church today. I want to welcome everybody that's watching us online from wherever you're watching us from. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. Uh, what you saw up there uh, this morning with the uh, baptisms, uh, Kelly had a prophetic word, and that's what the words that you saw for each one of our, our people. It's something that we're just adding in uh, to our baptisms, um, just normalizing uh, prophecy and gifts and, and people who have gifts of, of, of prophecy uh, because it meant it's a very powerful uh, gift from the Holy Spirit, and we want to utilize it, and so it just, man, it was, it was a, a powerful, powerful baptism, and so I want to encourage you, don't miss the next one. Uh, it, it's just a, it just gets more and more powerful every time uh, we do it. I, I just want to congratulate everybody that got, man, baptized last week. Come on, what an awesome, man, going public with your relationship with Jesus is so, so amazing. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, before we get into the Word, before I recap uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, this, man, we, we've got life group tables out in the lobby. Come on, I, man, sign up for a life group or two life groups. Get connected. This is the, the heart of our church is doing life uh, together. So I want to encourage you, uh, go and sign up for one of our groups. Uh, the other thing is, is family night is this Thursday. Um, and we have something called Kids Club. And, and I want to encourage you, man, we have something for everybody in the family. Uh, I am taking over Kids Club this uh, semester, and so anybody that wants to serve with me, I'm serious, this is not a joke. Anybody who wants to serve with me this semester in Kids Club, uh, man, go, go talk. You can talk to me after service or sign up uh, in our Welcome Center. Uh, we, we always do a lesson. Uh, we do fun things, um, and, and because I'm running it, it's going to look a little bit like gym class. Come on, somebody. <laughs> So it's going to be awesome, awesome, awesome family night this Thursday. Okay. All right. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Foothold. And uh, we're going to recap it uh, this, this morning. For the first five minutes, we're going to recap. And then we'll, we'll get into uh, the meat of the message today. But let me just give you a, you know, a quick overview of my goal for this series. And I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit's goal for our lives is that we open doors to, to Satan in our lives knowingly and, and, and unknowingly with things that we watch and listen to, people that we surround ourselves with. Um, and, and we just want to close those doors uh, we're, <clears throat> to stop giving Satan access to our life. And we talked about this last week. He can have access, but he doesn't have authority. And, and at any point in time, through the name of Jesus, we can kick Satan out of these areas of our Lives, And so that's the goal of the series is that we would stop giving access to Satan knowingly and unknowingly in our life. Maybe we've got a back door open that, that he's gaining access to and we don't even know about it. And so throughout this series, we're going to just uncover some of these doors that can be open and we're going to shut them and stand firm in the authority that Jesus has given us. Amen. Come on, let's pray and get into it today. Father, we thank you for this moment. Holy Spirit, this is your moment, Jesus, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you 
uh, for every person that's in this room today and watching online, God, by it's not by mistake that they're watching and they're here today, that you got a purpose, you got a plan, you got a word for us today, God. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it in Jesus' name. God, I just pray right now that you'd help me get out of the way, all of you and none of me, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Uh, let's jump right into part two of Foothold today and our uh, kind of our, our, our core message, what we're going to be building off of Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And that's really our key word. And so let's go ahead and look at the Greek uh, definition of foothold. The actual word is tapos, which means a place, region, seat, and an opportunity. And we went through those last week. You just kind of identify, hey man, does Satan have a place in my life? Do I have a doors open and giving him a place? Or, or does he have a region? Or, or does he have a seat in my life? And, and the, the, the seat is a little tricky because, man, sometimes the enemy will go dormant, will go silent. He hasn't left. He's just waiting for an opportunity. Are we giving opportunities in our life by what we're watching, listening to, who we're surrounding ourselves? Are we giving access to the devil. And so that's the, the Greek word uh, for foothold, which gives us a, a, a deeper understanding. And so last week, point one, and we're going to spend three weeks on this one point. Oh, this is going to be a long series, okay? Uh, this won't be long. Uh, uh, and last week, we talked about false teachers, okay? That, that was the first uh, door that, that we give access to our hearts and our minds. And, and for me, uh, this is the most this is the trickiest one, okay? We, we could be reading books, we could be listening to podcasts, we could be watching YouTube videos, thinking someone is, is you know, preaching from the word of God or, or, or you know, anointed and they're not. They're actually false teachers and, and, and Satan is allowed to gain access into our heart and our mind through this way. Jesus says this, Matthew seven fifteen. He says, watch out for false prophets. He, he actually says that people are going to be tricked in the last days. If you want to see a big sign of going into the last days, people will be tricked by false teachers. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus says, they're just not going to come right out and, and be a wolf, right? And you're going to so clearly know that they're a wolf. Uh, they're going to come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious Wolves, they're ferocious wolves. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose, and we, we learned this last week by reading the passage in context that the thief isn't the devil in this, this, this context of this passage. The thief is the false teacher. Again, for me, man, this is way more wicked that, that we have false teachers, we have false uh, prophets in, in, in our country today that are, their whole purpose is this, is to steal and kill and destroy what God, God's purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And, and, and so we need to be very, very careful what we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're watching. Again, anybody can have a YouTube channel. Anybody can write a book today. Every, man, because of social media, everybody thinks they have a voice and, and they say whatever they want to say. And, and so I just want us as a church to protect ourselves and that we would begin to close the doors that we might be giving access to the enemy in our lives. Here's the sobering stat this morning. You can go ahead and put that up. 
65% of Americans identify with Christianity, and this is from uh, Barna Group's last survey. They, they survey the whole United States, and this is from their last study. 65% of Americans identify with Christianity. Only 6% hold a biblical worldview. And this is the answer to all of our problems in society, this statistic right here. So let, let's... For, for you number of people, let, let me break it down number-wise, okay? There's 330 million people in our country, okay? About, roughly. 330 million. 215 million of those people, when asked, hey, do you, do you identify as a Christian? Are you a Christian? They say yes. 215 million people in our country, when asked, are you a Christian, have said, yes, I am. But of those 65% of people that identify as a Christian, only 6% of them hold a biblical world view. What, what does that mean? That means only 6% of the 65, which the number is 13 million. 13 million. Guys, that doesn't even fill up the biggest city in our country. What this statistic is telling us is that only 13 million people believe that this book is true. Only 13 million people in our country filter their life. That's what a biblical worldview is. They, they filter their life through scripture. And this is the issue, and this is the problem with our country, and this is the problem with our American churches. Because we don't preach the word of God, we, we preach something else. Motivation speaking, I don't know what it is, but, but if only 6%, 13 million people, and again, this is a sign of the end times, guys. This, this is the sign of the end times. Satan has been attacking this book from the very beginning. And we're going to talk about this more next week uh, when we talk about Gnosticism. But, but he, what he does is Satan creeps in. He gets a door open in our hearts and our minds, and he says, this book is not enough. You need to add other things to this book. Guys, this book is enough. This has, guys, this book has to be enough. It has to be what we live our life by. It has to be our plumb line. It has to be how we filter everything. God wrote this book for us, and it is enough. So, last week we, we talked about progressive Christianity and uh, Gnosticism. We're going to talk about Gnosticism next week in, 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 in a deep dive. Um, last week, many people were asking me, Pastor, are you going to name some names? Are you going to like give us a list? No, I'm not going to give you a list, okay? I'm not. But what I am going to do today is I'm going to give you a template, okay? And if you want these notes, we will email them to you so you have them. And so what you can do is you can take this template, okay? Um, and, and you can filter them through who you're listening to, kind of what books uh, you might want to read, and, and you can filter, and you can ask the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is the helper, okay? And if there are a couple speakers and, and books you're like, ah, I'm not sure about, that's the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't read that. No, stop watching them, okay? And so, man, the Holy Spirit's already kind of leaning you and telling like, I don't know, some weird things in this book. Yeah, shut it and, and don't read it anymore, okay? Um, because this False doctrine, this false teaching has seeped into our churches called progressive Christianity, and it's been seeping in for a really long time. And 
So today we're going to go through the, all the denials, and then we're going to go through the affirmations, how we can tell uh, that someone is a progressive Christian. And what this is going to double as today is a foundation sermon, a foundation message today, uh, because we're going to go through the things that they deny and why we cannot deny these things. Like these are core foundational truths of following Jesus, and we can't we can't kick out any of these. Like, like, we have to believe these things. And of course, man, we're all on a journey and some of us are struggling with one of these things and, and I'll go through that today. But at the end of the day, we need to believe all of these things are true, okay? And again, this is from uh, Alyssa Childers' uh, book called Another Gospel. And the reason why I'm using um, her resources is because she was in a uh, progressive Christian church for five years and she didn't even know it until she got into a small group with the pastor and became appalled. And she's like, okay, this is really happening in our country all over the United States. And so she wrote some, some, uh, just, just some great guidelines of denials and then some affirmations. Okay, we're going to recap what we went through last week, uh, the two that we went through last week, and, and then uh, we'll continue on with the list. Okay, denials. Uh, progressive Christians deny, and again, I hate that, I that, hate that labeling Okay, first of all, they're not progressive uh, and they're not Christians, okay? Um, and you're gonna see, see why. I don't know why they call it that. I wish they called it something different. The atonement, okay? They deny the atonement. Often progressive Christians will refer to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as a horrific or unnecessary. The idea that God the Father would require the blood sacrifice of his son is perceived to be an indictment of God's character, turning him to a divine abuser. This is sometimes referred to as cosmic child abuse. And so what, what, what is happening here when denial and the atonement, what they're doing is they're denying the power of the cross. They're denying the power of the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago. Guys, it's the power that's in the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. It was the sacrifice that he made 2,000 years ago that makes us alive again. And so we cannot water that down. That is essential. That is important. The atonement of Jesus Christ, that he sacrificed his life for you and me, while we were still sinners, he was sinless, Lamb of God, who hung on the cross, and his blood covered all of our sins. Progressive Christianity, what the goal is to remove the power of the blood, remove the power of the sacrifice of Jesus. Second thing, the denial. Second denial, biblical authority or inspiration. In the progressive church, the Bible is viewed more like an ancient spiritual travel journal than an inspired, inherent, and authoritative word of God. I was talking to our overseer this week. I had lunch with him, and, and, and I was talking to him about this message, and, and he says, I have friends, and he's 64, okay? He's like, I have pastor friends who, who are starting to, to, to believe some of this garbage, um, spiritual travel journal that the inspired inerrant, authoritative word of God, the biblical writers were, are viewed as well-meaning ancient people who were doing their best to understand God in the times and places in which they live. But they were not necessarily speaking for God. Scripture is also seen as contradictory, not internally coherent, and not authoritative for Christians. 
And so what do they want to do? They want to remove the power of this book. They, they, they want to call this book not culturally relevant. Why? Because there's things in this, this book that make us feel bad. We live in a culture that doesn't want to, I don't want to feel bad. I just want to feel good. Just tell me how good I am. Just, just oh, oh, yeah. Well, tell me I can't do that, right? Like, yeah, that's what this book does. It reads us. It, we, we just don't read the book. The book reads us. Why? Because it's supernatural. It has power. And of course, Satan has been attacking this book from the very beginning because he doesn't want God's people to know it for themselves. And, he, and, and so we're, we're living in a time where, where man, you... Scripture is being watered down. The gospel is being watered down and taking out of context. And we're going to talk about this next week. Just taking out of context completely. We have to read scripture in context. And, and man, so the Bible has been under attack. It, 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 guys, this is where we start, right? Is this is where we have to start. We, we have to start with, man, the Bible was written for us. It was inspired for us to give us a pathway of how to live. All right, that's the recap, okay? Whoo, this gets me fired up, okay? I'm just saying. Point number three, the denial of original sin. <clears throat> the doctrine of original sin is roundly rejected in progressive Christianity with the idea of original blessing put in its place. Blessing sounds so much nicer, Pastor. Progressive Christians don't typically deny that sin exists or that it's a bad thing, but they often deny the idea that we have some sort of a sin nature that was passed down to us from Adam and Eve. Instead, progressive Christians often teach that sin isn't what separates us from God, but our own self-imposed shame. In the progressive view, it's often taught that we simply need to realize that we were never separated in the first place, that we are beloved and accepted by God just as we are. So what does this do? What, what does denying original sin do? <clears throat> denying original sin uh, basically takes away the need to repent. Right? We, if there's no original sin and we don't have a sin nature, which is mind-blowing because there's probably 500 scriptures in the Bible that talks about how we have a sin nature. We almost talk about it every single week. We did talk about it a couple of weeks, weeks ago about how we're either sin-controlled, right, or spirit-controlled, that we have a sin nature that wants to go in the opposite direction of our, the way the spirit wants to lead us. And it's this constant struggle against flesh and our spirit, and, and so with this doctrine, there's no need to repent because you've never sinned. You're just blessed. What a wonderful story that is. And so what's the importance of repentance, okay? Let's look at the, the Greek definition of repentance here. Importance of repentance. To think differently after. To change your mind. To change your inner man. Particularly as it relates to the acceptance of the will of God. And this is what I came up with this week. Go ahead and put that. To humble oneself, to admit you are wrong, and a desire to be transformed by God. And so in many progressive uh, Christian churches, you won't hear 
uh, them talk about repentance or the need of repentance or the need that you are a sinner and you are wicked and you've been born into wickedness and you need to repent. You, you won't hear that message in many progressive uh, Christian churches or, or books or, or, or podcasts or, or whatever. And, and the importance of repentance is so important to the point where it's literally the first word when Jesus stepped into his public ministry that he shouted. He said, repent because the kingdom of God is near. And the first thing that he said is to repent. And what repentance does, it brings us in this place of humility before the God and saying, God, not my will, but your will. God, I am a sinner and I need you. God, help me not to do this thing again. Not that we'll ever step into a place of perfection until we're dead, but that we're always progressing towards, man, the image of Jesus. And that we need to repent on a daily basis. Why? Because we sin every day. And it just keeps us in this place of humility. And, and man, Moses and, and David, men of God, men of faith, okay? But they screwed up a lot. They're both killed people. I think we're a little bit better than David and Moses today, unless you've killed somebody. But even if you've killed somebody... God's mercy and grace is there as long as you repent, right? Like, there's no sin beyond God's grace. God loved Moses. He loved David. And they were men after his own heart. Why? Because they knew how to humble themselves and repent. How important is repentance? Go ahead and put that that passage up there uh, that Jesus talks about. Repentance. Do Do you need me to refer it? Luke 13, one through five, you have that? Awesome. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffer? Not at all. So he's even, he's even addressing suffering because they had this belief if, if you got sick or you died, you must have been in some type of sin. Let's continue. And you will perish too, unless, guys, this is the, these are the words of Jesus, okay? Unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Salem fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So repentance is essential doctrine to our faith to getting right with God. We have to repent. We cannot remove, as nice as it sounds, right? Repentance is essential to our daily journey with Jesus of of humbling ourselves, acknowledging that we need a savior in our lives. All right, let's continue. The deity of Jesus, denying the deity of Jesus. Certainly not all progressive Christians will deny Jesus' deity. And so here's the tricky part. Some of them, they, you know, they, they deny. Some of them, they won't deny. It's just very, very, very sneaky. Certainly not all progressive Christians will deny Jesus' deity. But this doctrine tends to be downplayed. The concept of cosmic Christ is sometimes presented as our ultimate goal. That Jesus is a model and an example of someone who was christened as both human and divine. And we can follow his example by finding the divine within ourselves. 
This is big in Gnosticism and New Age spirituality. They call it the spark, the spark that's, that's inside of you instead of, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus living inside of you. They, they, they replace it with, with a spark in, in the deed of Jesus. And, and they, really, they really elevated his humanity side, okay? Here's the issue with, you know, denying this is that Joseph was not Jesus' dad. It was not his father, okay? And, and if you look in, in the New Testament, you'll find that the writers were very careful to never call Joseph Jesus' father, okay? Mary was virgin, and Jesus got his body from Mary, but he got his nature from God. Okay, that's very important to understand that he didn't get his nature from Joseph. He didn't, he didn't have a human nature. He had a God nature, and that he got his body from Mary, but he got his nature from God, that he was human and God in one and the same, that, that we have a God who loved us so much that he decided to walk in our skin, to put flesh on. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. Why? Because he wanted to be able to relate with everything that we go through. We have such a loving and compassionate God that he came as a human being with flesh and blood, but he was also God. And we see examples of that over and over and over again. He did things only God could do. But we have to believe, and, I, and listen, this is one of these things, man, this is just really hard to understand, pastor, that he could be both God and human. I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve and worship and lay my life down to a God that I can fully understand. And so this is just one of these things, right? The, the virgin birth. I, I remember years ago, uh, Don and I had dinner with this young man. That's probably 15, 16 years ago. Um, he was from L.A. He was living in L.A. Uh, he was actually a missionary's kid, grew up in the church, and, and <clears throat> he just got caught up in the things of Los Angeles, and they're just progressive weirdness. And uh, he, was just, he was in it, and he was just denying uh, you know, Christianity, and, and I said, okay, what's, what's your biggest issue, right? Like, what's your biggest issue with Christianity? And he would point to the virgin birth. I, I can't wrap my mind around the virgin birth. I said, listen, there are just some things that you're just not going to be able to wrap your mind around. You need to step into faith. Man, we serve a big God who, who's full of power and miracles, and this is how he wanted to do it. And so there's just some things that you're just going to have to step out in faith and, and believe in. And this is just one of these things, the virgin the virgin birth. Let's, uh, let, let's continue. Next, 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 one, next one. Okay. Um, the physical resurrection of Jesus. Did I go out of order? I went out of order. Did I go out of order? Okay. Physical resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Again, not every progressive denies the physical resurrection, but the idea that Jesus was bodily raised to life is often deemed less important or significant than the meaning we can draw from the idea of resurrection. Okay, this is literally the most important thing of our faith, the resurrection. Like, if Jesus doesn't conquer the grave and, 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 and rise again three days later, what makes us different from every other religion? If, if, if the one that we claim to be Savior and Messiah died, 
Like, like this is like essential belief that our God died a criminal's death on the cross. Even though he didn't deserve to die, he went through all of this punishment and died. And then three days later, our God defeated the grave. He defeated death. And that this resurrection is what we're going to be able to do when Jesus returns for us. We're going to be able to rise again. Why? Because he rose first. The the belief of the, man, Jesus rising. And again, well, how the heck would he do that? Because he's God. That's how he would do it. Because he's God. And there's just some things that God can do that we can't. And that's what we put our trust in. That's what we're putting our faith in. The God who conquered death and the grave. And his promise for us is that we're going to meet him again someday. That we can rise like heroes. That third day. We, 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 there's no gray area on this one, guys. There's just, just on, on any of these, really. There's just no gray area. We, we have to believe that Jesus rose again. Okay, the virgin birth. See, I, I think I, I skipped. In, in the progressive church, the virgin birth and other miraculous events can be downplayed, ignored, or like the resurrection, viewed as less important than the life lessons we can learn from these stories. Life lessons of a teenager? I, I don't know. Life lessons of, you know, a teenager who, who uh, has a child out of wedlock? I, I don't know. Like, like wh- wh- where are we going with this life lesson story other than, man, God impregnated a virgin with his nature and her nature together, and she birthed the son of God who came in flesh and blood to relate with us, to know exactly what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Why? Because he loves us that much. All right, let's continue. The Trinity. This is a fun one. Okay, the denial of the deity of Jesus wouldn't naturally be, would naturally be a denial of the Trinity. Okay, so if they deny Jesus' deity, they would naturally deny the Trinity. But some progressive Christians take it further and affirm the view of pantheism, which states that the universe is God. Others will affirm a less slightly radical view called panentheism, which is the belief that God and the world are interrelated. So this is weird. It's just, and you'll hear people say this when they use the word universe. Oh, the universe knows. And, and they, they use it synonymous with each other. Like, like they replace God with universe and, and they don't, they'll actually not use God's name and they'll use universal name. Um, but the other thing in progressive uh, churches and, and just progressive writings is they remove the third person of the Trinity a lot of the time, the Holy Spirit. They won't talk about the Holy Spirit. They won't teach on the Holy Spirit. And if they do, it's really surface and shallow, okay? And, and it's because they don't really believe in the full Trinity uh, or it's hard to teach on and, and they don't want to offend people. And so they won't talk about the fullness of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you guys, God's in heaven, Jesus is at his right side, and the Holy Spirit is the God that's with us. He is the act of God in our daily lives. And if you want to know what we believe about the Holy Spirit, we did a series called The Advantage. I want to encourage you to go on YouTube or listen to our podcast. We did a six-part series called The Advantage of why we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so you'll see this in progressive churches. They just remove, you know, one uh, or, or all, and they just call it universe, and, and it's, just, it's just a weird doctrine, okay, um, just to, to remove, and it just 
All of this stuff removes the power of God in our lives, the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, last denial, last denial, and then we'll get to some affirmations. The sinlessness of Jesus, okay? You probably won't find many progressive Christians who outright declare that Jesus was a sinner. However, Jesus' humanity tends to be emphasized. For example, in Matthew 15, Jesus tells the Canaanite woman, it's not good to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is viewed as Jesus having racial bias that were recognized and corrected during this exchange. So they basically say, Jesus is a racist. Let, let's go ahead and read the, that passage really quick. I, I don't know if I was gonna have time, but let's read it. Um, and this is why it's important to read scripture in context. Okay, you just can't pull one word out of scripture or one verse out of scripture and just use it. And man, these progressive writings and the writers and progressive churches, they love to do this. They'll take one passage of scripture and then just use a bunch of stories and, and they're pulling the passage out of, out of context. Okay, let's read it. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Okay, so Jesus acknowledges this woman, okay? He knows that she's a Canaanite woman, okay? And during this time, Canaanites didn't follow Jesus. They didn't recognize him as Lord. And so here's a woman, and Jesus, like, people came to Jesus all of the time asking for something, okay? That's what they came to Jesus for, because he was doing miracles. He was doing great things. And so what Jesus is doing in this woman is he's gauging where she's at with him. Because it's never about the miracle. Guys, it's never about the miracle. Miracle is just for that person. It's always about the heart. What is God doing in the heart of this person? A miracle is just a sign. Jesus says that it's just a sign of God's power. But more than God's power is, man, the heart of that person. Where are you at? Who do you think I am? That's what Jesus is saying. Who do you think I really am? And so she says this, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Let's continue. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep. So what is he doing? He's engaging her. Are you, are you a lost sheep? Like, like, who are you? Right? The people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him. Come on, there's a key point here. Before he does the miracle, what does she do? She worships Jesus. She acknowledges that he is God, pleading again, Lord, help me. Let's continue. And so God is, he's engaging her persistence here, just like he does with us all of the time. Are you going to be persistent? Are you going to pursue him? Okay. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scrapes the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. She takes a position of humility instead of being offended, right? Many people in that story would be offended and would walk away, but she doesn't. Why? Because she's her, Jesus is her Lord. Like, like, you see how Jesus is engaging this woman, her authenticity, he's, her, her realness. Her, you know, he's getting to the heart of this woman, just like Jesus wants to get to the heart of every single one of us. He wants to know what's in our heart. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Like, that's the key point. Like, he wanted to see where she was at faith-wise. Like, like, where's your faith? And what does he do? He addresses her faith. He says, your faith is great. Your request is granted. 
and her daughter was instantly healed. How do you get Jesus is a racist out of that, right? But, but if you have no idea what scripture says, if you have no scriptural context, if you have no historical background, you'll pull whatever you want to pull out of scripture. Okay, let's go to the affirmations. Affirmations, and these are really important. The first one is the LGBTQ relationships and marriages. This is a clear uh, sign. Now, most of them are really, really sneaky, okay? Some have like the gay, you know, flag outside of the church, like, okay, you should never go in there, right? Like, that's a sign, right? That's a sign where they're at. Um, One of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is the shift on issues of sexuality and gender. There's almost a universal acceptance of same-sex relationships and marriage, a belief in the validity of transgenderism and a rejection of cisgender norms, okay? They're woke, okay? Let's just, just, just say that's, that's what they are. Um, and some are just very open about it, uh, uh, about how they feel like marriage is between two people who love each other. Um, which we know as a Bible-believing church that Jesus is not, he has no gray area on this. He's very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman, okay? And, and right from the beginning, we can clap on that. I mean, I guess we have to clap on that. And then in Genesis, you know, God's very clear that he created man and a woman, Okay. There's not a third option. There's not a fourth option. There's not a fifth option. There's not an option where you identify with something else as option six. No, no, no. It's a man and a woman. And what's the sneaky part about these progressive churches and these progressive writers and and speakers is that they just won't ever talk about it. They, They won't tell you what they really believe. They just, they won't preach on marriage. They, they won't preach on homosexuality. They, they'll, they'll avoid those scriptures. That's what they're really good at. They're really good at avoiding all the scriptures that might make people offended. And so they just, they just avoid all of these, these issues of homosexuality and that homosexuality is a sin. Um, they'll, they'll avoid those scriptures. They, they won't talk about, you know, uh, transgenderism or anything like that. They, you know, it's just like, Live your own truth. It's very wishy-washy. But the issue is, is that unless you, you put them under the fire and you ask them the question, they, they won't voluntarily give you this, this information. And, and this is, man, that's like the hottest topic. Like that's the, the topic that most people get offended by. And, and what I found is because many people have friends that are in that lifestyle. And so when I teach against, you know, homosexuality and, and, and marriage as being a man and a woman and, and God created us a man and a woman, people get offended by me because I'm saying that because you have friends, you have loved ones, you have brothers, you have sisters, you, you have parents, you, you have, you know, good friends. And, and so what I've gotten from in the past is, is like, you seem like you don't love those people. And, and this is the issue with our society today is that people pair acceptance with love. And that's not at all how we should look at love. Like Jesus, there's things that God looks at my life and he's like, I don't accept that, right? But he still loves me, right? Our kids, 
Our, my kids do. Ugh. You know what I'm like, <laughs> lots of things. My love for them never changes. Right? And so we can love these people who are struggling in this sin and still not accept their lifestyle. We can do both, right? We can do both. Okay, last two. And we're going to talk more about this in, in deeper detail next week when we talk about Gnosticism. Universalism and universal reconciliation. The primary view of heaven and hell in the progressive church is universalism, which is the idea that no one will, punish in, no one will be punished in hell and everyone will eventually be saved and restored the right relationship with God. Some progressive Christians will still say that Jesus is the only way, see, which is tricky, but they believe he will save everyone. Nice story. Great story. Several years ago, uh, there's a guy by the name of Rob Bell. He's a pastor. He wrote this book called Loved Wins. And essentially what he did is he's like, what's the worst thing about Christianity? Hell. So let's take it out. Let's pretend it doesn't exist, right? And so he wrote this whole book called Love Wins, okay? God wouldn't be a loving, just God if there wasn't some type of punishment for those who don't accept his son. And if hell wasn't real, then Jesus wouldn't have talked about it more than heaven. And listen, yes, hell's an awful consequence, but we have the free will to choose Jesus. Would it be nice to just tell people, yeah, hell doesn't exist. It's fine. Just come to church. We'll make you feel good. No consequence for our actions. Like, what kind of society would we live in? Like, there's always consequences for all of our actions in the United States. Let me give you an example. Don't pay your taxes for five years and see what happens. Like, there's... There's always consequence for our actions. And, and scripture is overtly, and so basically what they're doing, and, and this is how, I don't know, they, they just remove the worst things about, uh, the, what they think is the worst things about the Bible, and, and, and they pitch it as universalism, and, and, and hey, it'll all work out at, at the end. Um, and, it, and it just removes the, the justice of God, of God being just. Third thing, we're running out of time today, but I want to get to this. The gospel of social justice and critical theory. In progressive Christianity, the gospel is not seen primarily as the good news of God saving sinners and reconciling them to himself. Instead, social justice issues become the heart of the gospel message with what one does being viewed as more important than what one believes. Did you hear that? Did you get that? Okay. Often the secular framework of critical theory is embraced where the world is viewed through the lens of oppressed versus oppressor. So I just, I want to caution us. The next big social justice issue, okay? Don't post it on your Facebook or your social media right away. See who's behind it, right? The big movement of, of BLM, Black Lives Matter, a horrific organization whose whole goal was to tear apart the family. And, and man, and Satan uses sneaky titles. Something that's really good, that we should care about. Absolutely, Black Lives, we should care about it. But he, the organization and the demons behind it 
We should be rebuking. And so, man, you have a lot of these churches that, that, man, they talk about social justice issues all of the time. And not that we shouldn't care about social justice issues, but we should care about the gospel first. And everything should breathe, breed out of the gospel. We should be coming here and then, man, taking the gospel out to the highways and the byways. And absolutely, we should care about people that are being mistreated. Like, that's the gospel message. And we don't need... The reality is we don't need a, a sweet title or a flag to do that. It's just who we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. And then the, the critical theory, maybe you heard of critical race theory that's being taught in, in, in schools, in public schools today, but what critical theory does is it makes everybody a victim. Everybody's a victim. Everybody has an oppressor. You're oppressed. By who? The man. Well, who's the man? Anybody you want the man to be. Your boss, your supervisor, your mom, your dad, the police, the government. Like just, you are the victim. And what it does is it cripples a society when, when they blame everybody for all of their problems and they never take responsibility of their own actions. There's a story in the Bible called the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness where God's like, look what happens when a society becomes the victim. They stay in the desert for 40 years and they die there and they never get to experience all that God has in store for our lives. Come on, we are a Bible-believing people. And more than ever, we need to hold firm to these essential values. Because as we see our world continuously getting worse and worse and worse, man, we need to be light more than ever. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Maybe you'd say today, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus or I've let the things of this world consume me and I need to make that decision today to follow Jesus because heaven is real and hell is real and I need to make that decision today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, just slip up your hand today. I want to pray with you today. Come on, this is just between you and Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Just put your hands down. Thank you. And I just ask this morning that we would all repeat this prayer as we help those making the greatest decision of their life today. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I ask this morning that you would forgive me of all my sins. That you would come into my life and be my Lord and King. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap today. Heaven is rejoicing.